0: Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez, and I'm happy to report that right now you can order my book. That's right. I wrote a book. It's called That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore on the Death and Rebirth of Comedy. Follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. If you want other options on how you can buy my book, please sign up for my newsletter at thelouperez.com. You could also join my community at theluperez.locals.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. Whether you're a longtime listener or first time, five-star reviews are lovely. If you're looking for other ways you can support me, you could do so by supporting my sponsors. If you're into CBD products, please check out Paloma Verde, CBD.com. Use promo code LU to get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you like cold brew, check out Black Organic Cold Brew at www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code LU for free shipping. All right, let's go. I am very excited to be joined by my next guest, his name is Paul Rossi, and you could follow him at Paul D Rossi R O S S I on Twitter. And uh, before we start recording, he told me reach out to him; his DMs are open. So that you know, it's, you're either calling for um, I don't know. There could be there could be trouble, Paul.
1: That there floor. could be trouble, but I try to respond to trouble as best I can. Uh, you know, given the constraints of uh, how mean people can be, or or. How many um, how many of the bots I have to respond to of pretty girls from all over the world? You get those, right? You get those
0: DMs. I, I, you know what? I've been getting my inbox has been flooded with um, subject lines that say the penis trick feminists don't want you to know. The penis trick feminists don't want you to know. And a part of me is, you know, I'm kind of intrigued and I kind of want to click on that and see like, well, what I hear you. Yeah. What kind of trick could this possibly, um, you know, can this possibly be?
1: I don't know. I guess you have to click to find out, Um, you know, there I'm sure there's more than one. Um, And why would the feminists not want you to find out? Is it because they're afraid that they'll like it? I'm not really sure.
0: I, I, you know, I, I, I already thought that we were winning that, that, you know, the, the phallic, you know, nature of the patriarchy was already, you know, you know, keeping them oppressed. So who? Who knows? Yeah, who knows. yeah. But um, yeah. So, 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 Paul, you know, talking about um, you know, possibly getting into trouble. I mean, you know, you, I guess you could say that you you have gotten in trouble over the past um, uh, the past few years. Um, for my for my listeners out there, I've been following uh Paul for uh for a little while now. Really, um, uh, I try to listen to him anytime he appears on a, any podcast and. Um, one conversation in particular was really in depth and I really enjoyed. It was with, um, Wesley Yang that, um, uh, that you gave, I don't know if it was this year or, um, maybe late last oh, year. Oh yeah.
1: I think it was maybe late last year. I can't remember myself, but it was, uh, yeah, that was really interesting. I've been a fan of his for a long time. I was thrilled that he wanted to be beyond. Um, uh, I think he did a Twitter spaces or clubhouse, something, one of those things.
0: Yeah. And it was like, uh, it was like a three hour, you know sort of sort of deep dive um so th- that's not what that's not what this is going to be um so okay, just, yeah. just you know any bathroom breaks you know you, you'll have time to uh to hold it okay but um yeah for for those of you who um for, for those out there who don't know your story um you know maybe we could just start on you know kind of like what got you on on the radar with all this stuff and at um it was it grace church the school
1: yes grace church school uh it's a Historically, it's been a K through eight school, elementary school for, for over 100 years. And then nine years ago, they, I guess, 10 years now, they opened a high school and I was part of the inaugural faculty of that. So I was I was in the math department. I was a math teacher, mostly, although we had teachers there do some double duty. I had an advisory, which is a small group of students that shepherd through the four years. Um, and then also I taught some philosophy classes, which were really interesting and it was a wonderful job. I really, uh, you know, I was a career changer in my 40s. I used to do project management for websites, and um, before that, I, I had a number of odd jobs, uh, but I was thrilled to teach, and I really enjoyed it a lot. I I slowly got better through the years, and I feel like I'm halfway decent uh, at this point, but uh, because of the uh the change of the mission of the school in 2015 and even a little before that it they became really pro- they went from sort of progressive to to extremely woke and and quote unquote anti-racist and i started to see it really leach into all parts of the curriculum and so i started chronicling it to myself because i felt like this was not having a positive impact on the students i could see it um students all students of all ethnicities and backgrounds uh it wasn't it wasn't conducive to their psychological health or their intellectual health or any of these other things um so many other things and so uh it kind of built got progressively worse I think for the culture as a whole in 2016 with Trump and then with George Floyd in 2020 um and uh so uh at one point during the pandemic uh we had a a Zoom meeting for the students for the entire school. So faculty, students, and admins around self-care. But it was done through an anti-bias lens, it was called, and it was done segregated. So white identified students and faculty were in one Zoom room uh, and BIPOC, Black or Indigenous people of color, staff and faculty together in another room. And so they had different scripts for you, depending on your race.
0: So, so, so that, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the, there's so much to, you know, to unpack there, you know, yeah. uh, if, if you will, but I'm just imagining the person who, you know, creates the two different links and is like, mm-hmm. okay, we're you're going to click on this link and you're going to click on this link. And right. I, I mean, I'm trying to think I I went to, I went to public school in Queens. I grew up in in Woodside and uh, I went to public school from pre K all the way through uh, eighth grade. And then I went to a Catholic uh, high school and um, you know, obviously when I I went to school, PS 151 across the street from the Woodside project. So I knew my class, I knew who was black. I knew who was Puerto Rican, um, you know uh, but the idea that it would be kind of, um, I don't know, written down on your permanent record, so that people would be going through the Rolode- rolodex or whatever and saying, "Okay, you're in this group and you're in this group," and then here are your two different Zoom links. That mm-hmm. that just seems really weird.
1: Yeah, and not only do the person who makes the two links, but it's also propagated by the dean of students of the school, and there are several DEI um, cadres within the school and or uh, that that are. Uh, pushing this. Now, the reason for segregation is different, but I think it has the same negative effects. Uh, And the idea is that BIPOC students need to be segregated. They won't use the word segregated, but effectively they are protected in a safe space from the harm they might feel by white people uh, enacting whiteness, uh, enacting their Their uh, sense of privilege, or their utterances and prejudgments, and, and revealing biases that might re-traumatize the students or the, the faculty as well. Uh, adults can be traumatized by this as well. Um, around their assumptions, um, or simply just their gaze. I mean, there's this idea of the white gaze. That, like you said, there's so much here. Um, but-, but basically, it's a it's a really a condescending kind of sheltering. Uh, of students from the harm they might mu- you know that they're assumed to be under threat from
0: so um for those you know for those of you out there who don't know the the nomenclature uh, bipoc so you, so you have POCs, which are people of color and that wasn't uh, good enough um, or at least you know uh, within the POC, the POC there are even more oppressed people so there you get bipoc which is, black indigenous people of color. Uh, and it sure. turns out I took a, I took a, a um, 23 in and me. And I found out that I am 4.8% indigenous American. So that changed everything for me, you know, that this whole wow. time I was going through life thinking one thing. And then it turns out, you know, wow, I'm actually maybe like close to the, you know, well, you're the math teacher. I'm, I'm close to what? 20%. That's like,
1: that's like almost 100%. five Elizabeth Warrens. That's yeah,
0: exactly. Um, so um. So uh, maybe we could do, we'll just talk about like sort of like the makeup of of this school. Like I said, like I went to I went to public school in Queens. Uh, this school is in is it um, is it the East Village in Manhattan?
1: Yeah, it's just south of of St Mark's Place, right below the the uh, the Cube, the Astor Place Cube. Okay. Um, and it's a really nice, you know, it's a nice area now, um, except for the NYU students. Um, just that's, getting, that's you know. where I
0: went. That's where I went. That, that, I you was, went to was, NYU, yeah yeah, yeah? yeah, I was part of the problem uh, that's over right, there. Um, yeah. So, like, what's the, what's the the makeup of of so the school? One of, so one one of
1: the nice things, I mean, it's it's a plus, and I think um, is that we, as a school, I'm still saying we, even though I'm, mm. I'm no longer there, but. Just a force of habit is that uh, we have the you know, one of the larger minority populations. We're still what's called a, a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution. They're very conscious of, of racializing everything. So everything is is really foregrounded when it comes to race. Uh, but we have, I think, 30 35 percent BIPOC, you know, uh, people from different backgrounds, then white, uh, or what's called white, I think. Um, And so that comes with some cultural differences, in some cases, in some cases, not, you know. um, And so I think that creates for a a dynamic, you know, a more dynamic community, uh, in some ways. There are also some real fractures in the sense of uh, wealth distribution, right? So Mm -hmm. you have some kids who are going to, the, you know, going to the islands for their vacation um, in the Caribbean or somewhere. Or and there are some kids that are going to go uh, to take care of their cousin in their two room apartment in the Bronx. Right. So that, you know, there are those kind of uh, wealth effects that are uh, can be very difficult sometimes for kids because they feel maybe they feel shame around poverty or they feel shame around not being. Included in some things, and um,
0: are yeah, those kids has, are those kids there on um, on scholarship because it, it costs quite a bit, right? Uh,
1: yeah, I would say school. you know they are, and so that's also another factor is that not every student is parents are full paying parents, um, you know, and these are very you know these are difficulties to maintain a community, right. and so the school I think in a in not entirely. Uh, misguided effort is trying to create a sense of a belonging for all the kids within this very privileged place. Everyone is privileged to be there. There's no doubt about it. It's $55,000 a year to go there if you're full paying. Um, and they want everyone to feel included. I think that's, I think that's admirable. I think it's necessary that people, that no student feels less than just because they're not a full paying. I mean, that's, everyone is a part of the same community. And, Mm. but I think what they've done is they've latched onto this racialized, uh, this anti-racism as a sort of a means to sort of squelch and get everyone to buy into this thing, to keep the, the white kids sort of flagellating themselves and diminishing themselves in a sense to sort of even things out in a sense of status. And then the BIPOC kids are given a kind of a moral authority a sort of a moral credit on things to just sort of balance out the ma- maybe the material disparities. And it doesn't, it, it has all sorts of add on consequences that when you do, when you create a two tiered system uh, of authority in a way, like either it's moral authority or, you know, a child's ability to express speak themselves freely in class, and you say that if one child says this, they're going to be harming another child just by virtue of them having to listen to it. Uh, we're talking about high school now, by the way. Um, it, it really does, uh, um, distort the student experience to a significant degree. And I've had many students come to me and and talk about that.
0: Um, so, uh, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to like my, my, you know, my own experience in, in school. And, um, for the sixth grade, I, I was in a, a magnet program at, um, was it, uh, no, no, PS 122, uh, which is, uh, somewhere in, in, in Queens, I think in Astoria or something like that. And, um, I actually had the really cool privilege of, of going back a few years ago. Like I was sort of, it was, uh, I think alumni week. And, um, they were asking alumni to go back to talk about college, you know, with these kids and there I go. And I only did one year there before I went to um, a different middle school. Um, and I'm, you know, sitting on stage and looking at, looking out at, you know, what you would expect to find in Queens, which is just like, I mean, it's the most diverse place on the planet, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I, my, my dad is an immigrant. Um, and I look out and I see a lot of kids whose parents are definitely, um, you know, immigrants are in the, they're in this really competitive public school system. A lot of them are taking, uh, you know, early entrance exams to go to, you know, Bronx Science or Stuyvesant and, and all that. And, um, you know, a lot of these kids are black and brown. And I know from the kids that I grew up with, the black and brown kids, like, you know, in these programs, like their parents want them are like you're doing homework, you're doing extra homework, you are going to you know in, in a sense kick ass academically and say you know and kind of like you know uh, I don't know uh, you know show these private school kids that that not only can you compete but you're better you know mm-hmm. um, so to to see like a you know a private institution like you know Grace Church you know sort of you know you know open up their doors to these types of kids, and say that they're victims and they're being harmed and all that, rather than no, this is going to be your stepping stone to eventually becoming a doctor and and, and all that. It's really hard for me to you know wrap my head around that. Um, and and yeah. you as a teacher, I mean, must be well for one. And I want to remind everybody, you're a, you were a math teacher, you know.
1: Yeah, so, math. some philosophy, but mostly math. Yeah,
0: you know, you know. So the idea of like you're. I mean, how are you like decolonizing math? How are you decolonizing calculus or pre-calculus and, and all that? It, it's, it's insanity. You know?
1: Yes. Um, there is this idea that, and uh, you know, this came up in the, in the anti-bias me- or the the self-care through an anti-bias lens meeting that I was talking about earlier, but there is this idea that objectivity and without objectivity, there's I mean, math is really kind of impossible. But, um, Objectivity is white or whiteness. It's a racialized construct like individuality um, or a bizarre suite of things. Some of them are actual virtues that are reframed as vices and some of them are vices that everyone could possibly, uh, you know, suffer or participate from, participate in. Uh, things like perfectionism or individualism. uh, I know that fear of open conflict. There's a whole, there's a list of about 15 of these things, which are really taken as gospel by these schools in general. And anywhere that you see a focus on anti-bias or whiteness or whiteness studies or whatever. Um, There's absolutely zero legitimate scholarship behind it. Just as a side note, I've looked into it and many people, other people have, um, so, um, uh, you know, that is a, that is a, something that, uh, I, I definitely felt from the faculty colleagues in the administration while I was there, this idea that math is somehow a, a cold, impersonal, a very, uh, you know, and whiteness is this concept that really has broadened to include. You know, so many different things that you know an entire discipline could fall into. It mm. um, is is very interesting to me. Um, even though one of my closest colleagues is a black woman, she was you know a good teacher. She taught me a lot. Um, she was kind of a mentor to me, and and uh, you know she would she was very rigorous. Uh, but somehow this idea that black people do math in some different way, or that it's to be culturally competent. Um. You know, what would that be exactly? And why would why would you pervert the expectations of the black kids by thinking that they have to do math in some some more indigenous way? Or I don't, I don't know what they could. They have to use. They can only uh, you know play Mancala or something like that. What is that? So mm-hmm. it's bizarre to me. It's bizarre. And it sort of harkens back to a lot of the Afrocentrism of the 70s, 60s and 70s. Uh, around you know which is taking on a sort of a critical social justice cast to it um but yeah you know, there's a lot there i'm i may be kind yeah. of rambling a bit
0: no 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 it's um i mean it's it it's interesting it's it's happening now but it 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 feels it feels so so alien but also like so make believe you know mm-hmm. it's like like oh let's let's just let's just pretend a little bit, you know, let's just play act. Let's, let's go with this. Yeah.
1: There, Um, there's this, you know, there's this idea in every society of the lie agreed upon the idea. It's the, it's the ruling ethos of a place. And there's always some, there's always a great deal of truth to it, but there's all, there's also a a way in which it can't be challenged. And the ruling ethos of these schools is really uh, critical social justice and the expectations that any, that are racialized, that your racialized self is socially determinative of your experience. And that if you are white, you must embrace that and preface everything around race with, you know, as a white male, as a, you know, as a person of privilege. And these, these uh, ritualistic utterances, it doesn't really matter what you say after them at all. All that mm-hmm. matters is that you simply, uh, perform the ablution of of speaking at from your racialized and gendered self or sexual self
0: it, it, yeah um, the 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 utter contradictions too, were this idea of you know um objectivity doesn't exist or you know even truth doesn't exist but all this bullshit that we're saying that needs to be you know taken as as gospel you know uh, right that that it's it's like it, it could you know if, if, if you were playing by the rules or no rules well it's like well everything you're saying is bullshit so we right don't have well, that's to, we, don't, we don't have to abide by it, it
1: relativism doesn't really hold water because because what's your superstructure and so th- you know the idea is that well okay um the critical lens the critical analysis will can only look at everything outside of it. It can never turn on itself. Um, but you know, it's, you know, it's privileging itself. And yeah. just like any, any worldview does.
0: And, and the whiteness stuff. I, 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 I think you brought this up on a, on a, on another person's uh, podcast. My my apologies. I'm forgetting uh, the, the name of, of the host. Um, but this idea of, you know, race is a social construct, but yet you have to accept it. Even though, it's right a, it's a social construct that's so. the thing that really is so fascinating to me
1: like i agree that it is you know it is a distortion a, a gross distortion of population genetics and everything and but and everyone and i would actually be i would agree with the the wokest people on that the 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 way that but they conclude that this distortion is so pervasive and overwhelming to individuals who grow up within that context that they cannot help, despite their protestations, they, can, they can't they can help but look at each other as racialized objects, um, racialized subjects, which are, if they're racialized, they're kind of objects, and mm-hmm. then make assumptions about them. So because everyone else is doing it, well, then we kind of have to talk about it and acknowledge that we're doing it, and, if, if anyone demurs and says, no, I'm not doing it, well, then you're in denial. Mm. So there, it is a hall of mirrors, which is self-perpetuating, from which the only escape is somehow as ev- if everyone comes to terms with their own biases, which are invisible to them, and you must rely on the experts to tell you what they are and the other to tell you what they are, well, then somehow we're going to transcend this thing, um, this this massive delusion. Um, you know, I, I think, like... I think like we have to simply drop, like let it go. It would be Mm -hmm. my thing. And that's kind of what I did at the meeting, which got me in trouble, which was to say, and I I put this in the chat, and this was the thing that they kept returning to when they raked me over the coals and the private meetings that followed was uh, to what extent must I see myself as society sees me? in other words i you know i if if whiteness is a social construct because everyone else sees me as white well then and i and i didn't want to say do i or don't i i wanted people to think about it's a, it's a continuum like how much because we yeah. all do we are all affected by society we are you know as we the 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 germ of truth to this is that yeah we we do see ourselves and others in many ways the way that society um tells us to but it's not complete and it's not a hundred percent. And and what is it? Is it 50%? Is it mm. 30%? There's comes, there comes a point when once you recognize it, in fact, you have an obligation to look at people as individuals and to see through it. And in fact, the very people who are writing the books telling everyone that you can't see through it, that you have to act as a, you know, as a function of race, race and racism. These are the people who above all should know better and should be able to let it go. But Hmm. they're too busy talking about how they can't help it. They have to see themselves as diminished because they're black and society sees them as black. And so you know, all of these gyrations of pride and shame that come out of that um, are are seen as a kind of a liberatory when in fact they're just recapitulating the same stuff. And we're teaching the kids to recapitulate the same stuff. When really, We should be treating them to see through race and see people as individuals and that society's view of them as racialized beings is flawed. Just like just like if you when they discovered that the earth wasn't flat, let's just say that Mm -hmm. discovered discover the earth isn't flat. Right. Do you spend 50 years trying to undermine your bias that the earth is flat? Do you not simply just accept? Oh, no, it's round because the science says it's round. But no, we're playing We're going through this this navel gazing around our presumed inability to stop thinking that the earth is flat. And I would say, you know, no, just cut the Gordian knot, man, just, you know, have a real interaction and there is going to be sure there's going to be moments where you, maybe you're acting out some societal presumption about somebody, but but don't imagine that that affects that infects a hundred percent of your communications and that race is always in the room. Like yeah. that's, that's a bizarre assumption.
0: Yeah. There's a, uh, there's an author, um, uh, Wilfred, uh, Wilfred Riley. Um, he wrote, um, he wrote a book, uh, hoax, uh, about like hate crime hoaxes. Uh, that, that's really worth, uh, worth reading. It's a, it's a really great compendium of that. He's a great follow. Oh, yeah. I'm that. a big fan of Will. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a great follow on, on Twitter. And, um, you know, he's one of these guys who uh is um all about crunching the numbers and getting the stats. And uh one theme that he consistently goes back to are sort of like all of the different characteristics um that you know lead to success or privilege, you know. And what people you know, it seems like the, the people that that you know you had to have your run-in with fail, either they don't want to see or There are all of these different things that will, you know, play a play a role in how much privilege, quote unquote, you have versus versus not. So if race is one of ten different uh, variables you're dealing with, well, what are some of the other variables? Well, you know, you got some ugly fucking white people. You know, ugliness, short, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. shortness, intelligence. You know, these are all things like. You know that's yeah if you're if you're on the spectrum you know how how are you um you know socially uh you know with people are you a are you an introvert versus an extrovert you know um do you have uh you know better um you know verbal skills than you know um, analytical skills all this stuff and um uh, i don't know maybe
1: uh i would i would add to that that privilege is contextual right it doesn't oh, yeah. matter it doesn't matter how pretty or ugly you are if you're taking a you know you're taking a test or something right um it doesn't you know it doesn't matter how smart you are if you're if you're in a bar trying to pick up girls at, you know yeah. and they and you don't know the social cues it actually works against you yeah um but yeah absolutely but i think that the that the having that one variable that explains everything is very easy for people and it also masks a lot of the really um th- those kinds of things that people are actually more loath to talk about and you can't like virtue signal, like what if I virtue signaled that I was, you know, listen, as a very smart person, let's say, <laughs> let's say I am, I'm, I may not be, but listen. So, you know, I, I, I know that I have brain privilege. I mean, can you imagine somebody listening to that and not just wanting to smack me across the face? Right. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I can say white privilege because we are all right. There's this democratization implied in, in that somehow, like we're all white. It doesn't matter how much, doesn't matter how much of all these other privileges I have, right? We, you know, like, so it's this weird intimacy that you get from talking about race.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it, it, and also it's sort of, um, you know, uh, I, I think people bring up agency a lot and uh, it's sort of like, I guess if you're a type of person who embraces whiteness, like, yeah, you know, this pretty evil, you know, it's, it's this whiteness thing, but look, I can't really change it. And you look and you see like, Oh, you're, you're able to afford fifty five thousand dollars a year to send your kid to school. Yeah, you are just like the white kid in you know Appalachia, um, you know who you know is getting um mm-hmm. you know what was it? What kind of worm is that? Ringworm? Not ringworm. I, f- I forget what kind of bookworm. Uh, yeah, there's so, there's some, yeah or, or something like that. It's it's kind of like uh, I don't know. There There's almost safety in uh, you know taking on you know this this group. Uh, yeah exactly that's that's true and and with these elite schools i mean these are when you talk about
1: privilege like these these are people who have you know the top places in the hamptons like the head of school you know he was from an incredibly wealthy place in the i think he had like one of the biggest mansions in the hamptons or something like that you know i'm not holding it against him that's fine there's nothing wrong with having money you know whatever um the thing is though that you know, that is, can be kind of alienating and, and weird, right. To talk about, but, and, you know, I knew really wealthy kids in college too, and they would always, they're always a little bit, you know, suspect and like they worry that people are kind of glomming onto them or whatever. But like, if you have this anti-racism thing, well, then it creates, it, it, it effaces those boundaries and suddenly it allows you to the moment that you claim a, a privilege, you're actually claiming the same privilege that that Appalachian guy has, which is that we are all in this together. And so you're, now what does it mean if you happen to be, well, this is, I, I find this really interesting. So, you know, they talk about the, the racial wealth gap, right? So the, right. The, the media, you know, the median white person makes, uh, has seven times the wealth or eight times the wealth of, of mean But now that's, if you look at the bottom 50% of the distribution, uh, that, the wealth gap between the bottom 50% of white people and the bottom 50% bottom in terms of wealth of black people is 3%. That is 97% of the wealth difference is in the upper half of both. And when you get to like the top 1%, it's extremely dramatic because we have a lot of income inequality. So imagine that you're a white person in that bottom 50% being lectured at by a white person in the top 1% about your privilege. And they're using that statistic against you. What would you do? How would you feel? You (laughs) would give two big middle fingers to that person, right? Because when you look at, you know, you're looking at people around you and they're like, no, actually, the reason why we don't, why we don't have a wealth gap is because no one has any wealth and we don't have any savings. Right. So that, that is, you know, to me, to my mind, um, that's the tremendous elitism that I think is driving a lot of the political
0: i um i was at a a a party uh, a few weeks back and i actually met a a couple who had um kids who went to grace um grace church and actually i um i I said i think yeah i think i had reached out to you um around that time to try to get um uh, try to you know make this happen and and i brought up uh i brought you up and and um the the mother um I don't want to give too too much away because I don't want to, you know, yeah. identi- identify with there. But let's just say uh uh their both their kids went from grace to a very um you know, one of the Ivy Leagues where uh they had a terrible time because it was sort of a you know, a continuation of the stuff that they were doing, that they were going through, you know, in, in grammar school and high school um in in college and um like the mother was t- t- or, 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 yeah 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 exactly yeah. woke stuff and and um uh i think when they when they got to college there was there were these very awkward meetings with like ras where they needed to uh i i, I would call it testify you know yeah or, you yeah. know it was it was religious in nature you know um uh but the mother was telling me the story and one of the things she brought up and and it sounded just fucking bonkers so i, I want to run it by you just because you heard anything about it she said there were this these really um, upsetting lessons in sex ed happening where um, uh, let's, you know, let's just say that, that it wasn't sexual, sexual education wasn't just about how our babies made. It was like, Oh, um, here's how to put a condom on and here's, and just so you know, there are people who do things called fisting and, and like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. And she, Holy. Okay. Okay. So maybe you could, talk to me, uh, uh, tell me a little about it. Cause she was telling me this and like, I'm a pretty, you know, uh, I, I'm an adult. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a comedian and all that. And she was telling me this. And I, I, I thought she was making it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, they talk there.
1: about like electro, you know, torture porn. And like, it's the whole, it's crazy. Like really this, this happened oh. at a school, uh, just last year, there was a, there's a sex educator there who came in a consultant. I think her name is Julianne Fonte, Julianne Fonte. Um, and she, you know, she taught this lesson that was, you know, to, uh, exposing high school kids, you know, but like to some really dark stuff on the internet, S and and bondage and stuff. And, uh, the kids told their parents and, you know, they're texting their parents like, what, am, what is this? Uh, and it became a kind of a scandal. They wrote about the New York post in you know, the usual, usual places. Uh, but the thing driving it, the thing behind it, uh, which is really fascinating I've seen the conferences where they push this stuff as, you know, the next wave of sex ed and why it's really important to talk about these things. Uh, and it's, it's being pleasure, positive sex, positivity. So um, this idea that shame, and this is not a new idea. This actually goes back to the twenties, you know, in, in the progressive, uh, the progressive education uh, where, Sex is really just like like any other activity, and it needs to be normalized. And the pleasure that that human beings derive from it is perfectly healthy, right? And so, masturbation. I, I don't know if you remember this; it might have been before your time, but there was a uh, there was someone who worked for a Democratic administration that was oh. brought on, and she she promoted masturbation. Remember, this? yeah, that was a scandal back then. That's tame now, right? Like that. Yeah. Was,
0: that was like okay. in the nineties, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I forget her name, but but that was in the same vein. So whether it's, uh, you know, a forest of dildos going, God knows where, or electro porn or whatever, it's all, if it's done consensually and if it's done, um, you know, with your eyes open and everyone's okay with it, well then, you know, huzzah, you know, go crazy. Um, and so the other, the other, uh, strand of this is that, uh, well, there's three strands. The other, the other strand, which is connected to the third strand, is that kids are doing it anyway because uh, you know they they're going to have sex and they're going to do crazy things, and and rather than leave them with their guard down around people who may not be experts at it and can explain how normal and natural and good it is, um, they may go, you know, they may be manipulated or abused unless we, the experts, can get to them first and tell them you know, how to use it responsibly. Right. And it's the same thing with drugs. Like you're going to learn about drugs. Here are the drugs. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you haven't thought of it before, we're going to let you, we're going to think about it in a controlled environment so that when you do, you know, experience it later, you know, you're going to know what it is and you're not going to have somebody, you know, fist you without your consent. That's, that's basically the philosophy behind it. And then the third strand, which is connected to the second is that, it is a gravy train for these people. Like they get to intermediate and facilitate and and clarify all these things for people, um, and they get paid for it. And they get to you know they wind up putting themselves at the center, which is a lucrative place to be. I uh,
0: it, it's funny because the mother that that I spoke to, she said that yeah, one of the um, reasons that they gave was well, they don't they didn't want the kids to you know be walking down. St. Mark's and hear this stuff for the first time on Mm. St. Mark's. You know, I guess in in an uncontrolled environment. Um, You know, when you when you talk about you know like how lucrative that is, and these people like putting themselves in in the center of it. Like, I I, my my wife and I we went out to dinner a few like uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, We have two little ones, and um, one of them, uh, the youngest, is finally like sleeping. You know, like you know for a stretch of time so we could like so we went out to dinner from like 7 30 and got back at 10 and we had um a, a local teenager come just to be in the living room and you know sort of um you know just in case of you know a fire happens you know she's there to, yeah. to help and uh i, I one day i asked her, I'm like so you got any any good restaurants around here she's like yeah i like the pizza place you know over there and i'm like and i'm just thinking I, what, I'm speaking to like a teenager. I have no idea. Like th- this doesn't make any sense. I'm a grown man. I've, you know, I'm like I, this is so weird. Even just talking to a to a teenager, the idea that I would be getting commanding a salary to go and speak to teenagers about fisting and electrocuting somebody, uh, your your lover's clit, in order to get them off, and then answering Q and A on that is is batshit crazy. to me. There's like, there has to be something beyond just the financial incentive there. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of these crazy,
1: I I will also say that it's, it's a pattern that I noticed in the school in my schools among my colleagues, maybe, you know, we had great relationships with them. They're interesting people, but they tend not to be the, they tend to be working out some issues, some, some of them uh, around the kids. And, you know, I had a colleague who would call the kids, her babies, you know, like they're. And these are high school kids, mm. um, like the babies. You know, the babies aren't ready for this. It's this very strange, sort of overly maternal, overly nurturing. But also, they get to be um, like the den mother, and they get to, they they feed off of the attention in a way, and they get to be like the cool kids for once, like mm. around other kids. Like they're not, they don't, they're not behaving entirely they're not behaving like adults in a way like it lets them get they kind of enjoy knowing things that the kids don't know that are curious about and you know wouldn't you like to know about this like it's it is you know i'm not gonna i'm not is it grooming is it not grooming i don't know but i mean it's it's clearly you know ideologically it's grooming and you're talking about that stuff and it's it is exploiting the curiosity the natural curiosity adolescent curiosity to promote things With this, and and I think that's the most dangerous thing, this idea that somehow sex is like anything else, right? Mm. It's not like learning the phases of the moon, okay? It's not because you can't get pregnant from the phases of the moon. You can't get a social disease and you can't, doesn't mess with your emotions in the same way. It doesn't have all these possible consequences. Uh, But they talk about it that way. They say that if we could only demystify sex, if we could only put it in this tame place where everyone can understand and agree that it's, and we're all going to be consensual and not, no one's going to ever want to do anything that anyone else doesn't want to do. It's like eating pizza. They even had a poster on the wall in my school that was like sex, having, you know, having sex is like having pizza. What do you want on your pizza? Do you want a slice of pizza? Yes. You know, you should ask before you take a slice of pizza. Um, Right. So, but it's not all right. And even, right. even Lenin, Vladimir Ilyevich, Lennon said, you know, sex is not a glass of water. It is a categorically different set of of human actions and behavior and thoughts and and all of these different things. And we we do need to draw lines around it. And we do need to, you know, uh, constrain curiosity around it. There are ways to do that responsibly. Um, And I don't think, I think that they don't understand that they're playing with fire. And I think that they are like so many social reformers caught up in the idea of a utopia Mm. without actually knowing what they're dealing with Um, because they're, you know, sex by its very nature and sexual desire is transgressive. And if you try to normalize, you know, a bunch of stuff, it's, you're going, you're not taking that away. You're simply moving the boundary and you don't even know what's going to come back past that boundary. Mm. So I, I just think that it's, it's, I guess I'm more of a, Traditionalist in some ways. I want to be a responsible traditionalist. I don't want to pretend that kids aren't curious and going to learn stuff. But I think that you really need to um, draw lines around what is the job of a school. I mean, I, like, I
0: was ju- I was just going to ask yeah, that. Like, I'm like, what not what is education? Job. Yeah, what <laughs> yeah. is yeah if what is education now? Yeah. yeah,
1: go to your parents. But you know, they say you know the parents. Parents don't know. The parents are checked out. We know better than the parents. The parents can't be trusted. They really talk about parents this way. Um, they are openly contemptuous of parents. I'm going to be frank. Like at, at the faculty lounge, when the door closes, and there's some of that, I think, it's just a natural thing. Just the same way if you were flipping burgers at, at a fast food joint, you'd complain about the customers, right? Because the parent is the customer. But the, but the presumption, the condescension, and the intellectual superiority that they have towards parents. That to me is, you know, that's, that to me is a problem. And the mm-hmm. idea that, you know, we're going to presume to know better about all these different things that, you know, we're experts at everything. Yeah. Um, and that's the way to advance your career within this, within the system of particularly independent schools, private schools, is you set yourself up as an expert in these things, which are deeply sought after. You know, DEI, sex ed, um, you know, all of these social emotional stuff. Um, and I, I was, you know, I, I wasn't interested in that. And the people who aren't interested in that, who just want to teach math like me, um, or philosophy, which I'm excited about. I love teaching philosophy. Those people are, are not going to advance in the hierarchy. So they're not going to become administrators. They're not going to be making decisions about the direction of the school or what they're going to teach the kids. So it's a self, it's a real self-fulfilling, you know, feedback loop. Yeah. You just keep getting more and more of because those people advance and the other people just want to teach math.
0: Well, um, you know, you you talked about um, you know, kids coming to you and, and feeling uncomfortable about, you know, uh the you know, a lot of the uh anti-racism stuff and and that that they were being like subjected to. Um I imagine that there were, you know, quite a bit of uh you know parents as well who were upset about this, especially if you're laying down. I, it hurts to say at $55,000 a year, you know, um, yeah. I, uh, I, I, just don't understand how you could have fuck you money and go along with this stuff. I, I, it's, mean, I, it's surprising, I, I right? Yeah, really I've, I've, made, the, I, I've made the, I've made the mistake of, you know, saying fuck you without having the money behind it. So I can't imagine having that kind of bread and, and allowing this to happen. You
1: know? Well, it's a, it really is a social cage in a lot of ways. I mean, and I, I, Listen, I I have sympathy for these parents, but I also am of the mind I'm of two minds. Like at some certain point you you have to be a good parent. You can't subject your kids to this. But, yeah, you know, I would say from their perspective, what is happening is there is that narrowing of the marketplace around these schools and this idea that, you know, you this is your entry into the Ivies, the highest, you know, and that this is high stake stuff. It's very status-driven. It's very reputation. Mothers like to talk about their kids, uh, you know, of any, you know, at any income level, but at a certain, in, you know, at these income levels, it's like, oh, where's your where's your tongue? Well, my tongue is kind of, you
0: know?
1: And, that, and all that stuff seems namby pen, but it actually matters a lot. Mm-hmm. And that it, there are other structural things in place. So, for example, the enrollment contract. So these enrollment contracts that parents sign, they're year-to-year. You're not guaranteed a spot and those enrollment contracts will say some pretty one-sided things like if you challenge us on the curriculum you can be expelled if you talk about the school if you if you talk out of talk out of school about the school you can be expelled and there there have been cases recently in recent years where the, the enrollment contracts have gotten even worse for parents and kids have gotten expelled for the parents sending two emails to the to the administration complaining about the curriculum that's it you're gone um, wow. So you know, plus if you if you are, a, say, a hedge fund manager, or you work at Goldman Sachs or whatever, any of these places, Wells Fargo, and you challenge a curriculum, and you get the reputation within this environment and this context for being a racist or being some troglodyte uh, January 6th uh, protester, which they do. Which the DEI people will say anyone who challenges this is like the January 6th insurrectionists. And I've you know, got that on video from them saying this stuff. Uh, you know, you can take a significant, you can lose clients, you can get a reputation. People, you're worried people are going to talk behind their back, you know, and this is what puts bread on the table. Um, they're croissants or whatever. <laughs> <metaphors>. <laughs> whatever
0: they uh,
1: and so you, you know, you wouldn't be doing your family legacy a favor. You might be, you might be taking risks. And there's also a tendency with, with these you know, wealthier parents to say, "Look, this is how we do business." Okay, in my professional life, I have to have a public face and a private face. You're just learning the ropes, kid. Okay, you do. You just have to say what they want you to say. Put your head down, get into college, and then later, you know, when you when when you're somebody, you know, you can take a stand. But this is not the time to take a stand, and that's not how we do business, right? There, there. In a sense, it's this real kind of noblest oblige aspect where you're going to pretend to do these things and say these things, but then the, but then the bizarre consequences that this, you know, people aren't dumb, like they know they're faking it. And so they get now this idea of optical allyship is another, uh, it's another cycle where you have to question yourself, whether you're being an optical ally, whether you're really doing the work. So it's this, it's this uh, whirlpool of, of self, reflection and self interrogation that I, uh, I, I was in zoom meetings where the, the teachers were telling the kids, like, we need to hear from the white kids. Now we need to hear that. You're really doing the work. Uh, yeah. you know, we need to hear that you're not just being an optical ally and, you know, the kids are just, you know, sitting there kind of glumly, you know, trying not to stand out. And, and the usual kids are saying all the right things. And, um, and then there are the black kids there that are saying like, this is a waste of my time. Like, why am I even here? Like, this isn't about me at all. Right. Cause mm. this is just about you celebrating and interrogating yourselves. Like my, my, my experience as a black person is no better because of this. Mm. I have a point like, you know, I, yeah. Um, so. Yeah. You know, yeah I,
0: think- I, forget, I forget. I'm sorry. I forget. I forget who, um, who said it, it might've been, um, historian uh thad uh, thad Thad russell thaddeus russell i think he he brought it up in conversation once where it's sort of the um uh one of the things about uh affirmative action was that it brought uh, a lot of like black students to colleges that had never had black students before so they became sort of like I don't know, sort of like walking exhibits in a way. Like a, an mm-hmm. opportunity for, you know, these, you know, upper crust um, you know, privileged white people to interact with, you know, w- with with black people we never interacted with them before. Wow, this is isn't this super?
1: You're you a circus know? freak. Absolutely. Way, I think yeah. that's that is legitimate. And I think that's in some ways a little better than it was. I think back then it was it was really weird, but but it's still similar and you can kind of see how they get exploited. One way they get given like way too much power and celebrated and pushed into things because it looks good for the school to have black faces right. in the marketing materials and the brochures. And some of the some of the activism that you see with the black students demanding change groups is that they'll say, listen, I you know, don't put me in your catalog unless you give me a tuition break or you give me something. You know, and I, I actually respect that. It's like, don't use me for your little virtue act. Um, but you know, th- th- and it's not helping that it's giving, it's giving them too much power. Like I'll give you an example. So there's this group of black students demanding change. Um, and they wrote, uh, they wrote a letter shortly after the George Floyd killing. Uh, and I'm going to read some of it because I think it's interesting. I, I just yeah. up looking at it. Um, because it sort of gets to the heart of, uh, and I want to see if it's, oh, did I have it? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, here we go. Okay, so Sure. Um, with the murders of, dear head of high school, dear head of school, with the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and many, many more, social distancing due to the pandemic, police brutality, protests, and riots occurring in America, we, and these are about nine students that signed the letter, we are writing to express our feelings about the importance of these final assignments and this final week of school. This was done near in May, near the end of the school year in 20 uh 2020. People of color in and outside of the school community are facing intense emotional labor mm. right now. While it is fair to consider that the last week and assignments of school are important, our stresses, well-being, and mental health are more important. We aren't sure how to function and are struggling to focus on our schoolwork while, while simultaneously being frustrated, heartbroken, angry. And completely exhausted, and completely exhausted is in italics. We are being amazingly vulnerable and brave enough to complete assignments, show up to class, and participate in these discussions with our peers, despite the emotional toll. There are even some ignorant posts and communication from some of our own members of the school community that is completely undermining the Black Lives Matter movement. Peers are voicing their white opinions Mm. (laughs) White is about how black and brown people should protest and use their voices, their blatant disregard uh, for our feelings and our concerns throughout this whole movement contributes to the feelings we have of exhaustion and helplessness. We constantly must be the ones to educate our peers as if that is our responsibility, along with doing our schoolwork and coming to school every day as if everything is all right. So, okay, so this is, you know, and eventually they ask to have the last few days of school academics canceled and they get it.
0: Pizza party? Uh, is there a pizza party? Or? There's
1: not a pizza party. Um. Uh. But but instead of a pizza party, what we get is three days of seminars on racial literacy and uh, the importance of activism and social justice seminars. Like they they substitute all this stuff for math, English, history, reading, all the things. Um. And not only that, but the administration falls all over themselves and says you know this is something that no one should have even asked us for we should have known already that to cancel classes and you know we celebrate your bravery at the graduation ceremony this letter was read aloud as a a testament to the students and their bravery and courage in in saying this and I'm thinking to myself you know this is you know this is so sad this is the most depressing thing I've had to sit through in a way because we have crippled people we have turned them into uh Mm. you know we have enabled this you know this the administration really is has been pushing all along you know this is what social activism looks like it's making demands it's all of these things and the demands are not about making you know the demands are incredibly uh like segmented and, you know, overweening and all these different things. And I just think, you know, this is the fact that the administration, you know, had canceled final tests, canceled final grades, you know, all this stuff. I think they made the pass, pass, fail. I mean, they did all these things to satisfy this group of eights, eight, eight or nine students, I think it was.
0: Wow. Um, yeah, it's, and, and also...
1: Like, how does that help these kids? Yeah, yeah how exactly. Does how does it help? Them. How do you, it how do
0: them. yeah. When you, like you redefine, you, you redefine bravery. Yeah.
1: yeah to, you
0: definition. know, you know, going to your really nice school in the East village, um, you know, being a T, te- uh, you know, being a kid, being a, a teenager, like you, uh, or, or, you know, you redefine exhaustion, you know? Um,
1: yeah. And you, you know, the thing is, the way to actually is to, the way to deal with it is to say, listen, we will, we will not be moved. We will, we are going to continue to, to, expect of you the things you need to succeed in life. And that is the way to show racists that they're wrong. You know, like that's the, that's the dignity culture thing instead of the victim culture thing. And then of course the irony is that Uptown in the worst parts of town, in South Bronx, there are charter schools where they are teaching the kids exact thing they need to do to succeed. Like you said about your private, your public school, they're teaching them that if you make these choices, if you do these things in this order, um, if you 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 graduate from school, then you you know get a job, then you get married, then you have kids. If you do those things in that order, there's only a six percent chance you're going to stay in poverty, and they hold them to it. Right, and they mm. give them a roadmap out of this morass instead of this, this constant um, pity party. Frankly,
0: yeah, I uh, I wrote a book. Um, it's been it's the Chiron's been going there th- for the whole hour. Just in oh. case anybody listening doesn't know, uh, I wrote a book. Uh, it's coming <laughs> Is that out. That
1: with the Smiths album.
0: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, with the oh, um, yeah. It's yeah, a great the, great tale. Um, yeah, and I, I read I, I I did. Um, I reshot the uh, the cover um, with with me as the uh, the Vietnam uh, fight uh, American the U- U.S. troop and uh, soldier in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so one one of the you know one of the chores, one of the grueling things that I had to do for my book was read. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you've seen this: uh, "How to Be an Anti-Racist" oh, yeah. by Ibram Kendi. Yeah. And, uh, this one, like it, this is very large lettering. Uh, mm-hmm. so like each, each stupid thing is just like, hits me in the eye, like even harder. Cause the font is so large. And, um, so like pretty early on in it, um, it turns out he's, he's from Queens or, um, Terry mm-hmm. uh, Henry Rogers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a Queens kid who went, whose parents, uh, sent him to private schools. Um, yeah. and, um, one of the things that 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 he said that really stuck out to me was he uh he said that he barely cracked a thousand on his sat um Mm -hmm. and it was around and then him looking back like then he started to realize that intelligence is as subjective as beauty and all that right Mm -hmm. and um i was thinking about you know sort of my own you know, my, how I did on my, on my SATs. And I got like, I think it was like 1360 or 1390, something like that. Um, at the time you you were allowed to combine your two, your top two scores and then. Right. um, Right. You know, score. And, and I was thinking, you know what I could have, I, you know, I I could have, um, I could have, uh, gotten that 1400, I think it was like, maybe like one or two questions would have got me a 1400, Mm -hmm. Um, I could have studied more. I could have done a lot more prep. There were kids doing a lot more prep, you know, maybe I could have, I could have done, uh, done better. I had a girlfriend at the time. I, if, you know, I, you know, I was a horny kid in high S-A-T's school, girlfriend, yeah, you know, exactly. You know, making, yeah, exactly. Making that's, out that's versus like, fight. you know, versus versus doing this thing. you know, I'm like, I could have done better, but I know that there was a cap on how well I would have done just based on not only how I, how I take tests, but but also just, just my knowledge. There's no way I'm getting an 800 on the math. No way whatsoever, right? And I accept that. I accept my, my limitations. This guy, on the other hand, is so narcissistic, has so much hubris, that it's got to be the system that's keeping him down. That he barely cracked 1,000. Not because he's not smart enough. It's because the test wasn't made for him. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm just yeah. thinking about this, like there's got to be, you know, I think a, a very, you know, it's a very important to when, as you're developing to understand your limits, you know, push as hard as you can, but also grow and say, Hey, you know what? I, I couldn't be, um, I couldn't be Mr. Rossi and teach math in, in high school. I, I couldn't because that's not, that's not my gig, but the idea that I'm just going to blame every outside force for it you know, or, you know, to the, you know, or, or even go the step further and say, well, if I did get a, you know, perfect score in the SAT, that's just my whiteness, you know, come on. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh,
1: yeah. It's just, it's a different mindset. It's, it's, it's also as alien to me in the same way that, that it is to you. Um, now a lot of this is and you, James Lindsay. I don't know if you're a fan. I'm a fan of, of his work around new discourses and his podcast, but to some of the things he's talking, he's talking about, you know, they jive with what I learned in, uh, in the nineties around postmodernism and, and pedagogy and things like that going to, uh, going to school. And I was, I wasn't, I didn't study math. I studied French lit and comp lit and, and philosophy and stuff. And I, I just got into math later, but, um, you know it's a lot of it comes from this idea that if you do if you follow the rules of the system then you're enabling the system so if you want to be a true revolutionary you have to you have to have that attitude you have to say you have to sort of presume that what what i think is narcissism too which is that you know it's not that i'm it's not that i i don't have what it takes is that the system is holding me back because you know until you have that attitude well, then you're not going to change the system, and that there won't be any human progress unless you have these people that are going to be uh, given critical consciousness uh, to their society. Because you could, if you play by the rules, well, you're just going to recapitulate the mistakes of the existing system.
0: Yeah, uh, in his book, Kendi, uh, More functional they may be. Yeah, in in his book, Kendi is, you know, he he uh, he 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 wonders, man, what would life been like if if my dad had pursued that that poetry instead mm-hmm. of you know getting a job uh, in accounting or is if his mother had you know gone this other route the more revolutionary route as opposed to getting a a job in in healthcare in the health industry your life
1: would have certainly been worse yeah that's, 100% that's, there's no question <laughs> your yeah. life would have been a lot have a lot less security where you wouldn't even be able to entertain these ideas um and if we have a world full of that then that's what we're going to get Right. On. We, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't have a lot of, I mean, it's okay to wonder about it, but what, what were his, what were his musings? Um, I, I haven't read it. I confess I should read it.
0: Um, it's a consistent, the way that I describe it is it consistently uh, it's him basically making all these excuses on why, um, uh, why one cannot succeed in this system. But then offering all of these biographical details on how exactly what you need to do to succeed in the system, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a, it's a thing where it's, I, you know, I, you know, kind of you know going back to you know what is education and and what are you teaching these kids, and man, I, I, you know, I I want kids to you know grow up you know with this idea that try aspire do it you can do it you know give it a shot not no matter what you do, it's always, you're always going to be held back. And it's because of this, uh, you know, Mm. grand grand unifying theory of whiteness or whatever the fuck you want to go. Yeah.
1: Uh, You know, we know it's not a mystery. We know what, what gives encouragement and gives legitimate confidence and legitimate self-esteem It's success. It's, it's being, it's knowing that by a, a universal measurement that you have, you have a, achieved real things by doing well um, within the context of your environment, right? Whether it's taking this test or doing this thing or, or socially, same thing, right? You gain confidence socially by making connections with people and having successful interactions. And, you, and it doesn't matter how many people are telling you that you succeeded. You know if you failed because mm-hmm. you know you can feel it. It's like we have bioengineered, you know, we're not engineer, but we we we've evolved to have this reaction when we know that we're doing well. And then we, when we know, when we don't, and, and we've been the self-esteem movement is a total failure. Hmm. Um, you know, I know that when I am trying to learn something on the guitar, I know when I do it well and when I don't, and it doesn't matter. Uh, if my guitar teacher is telling me, yo, man, you're amazing. <laughs> I'm like, no, I suck. Right. And then they, they know they suck and they suck i mean everyone knows that and these are too smart not to know it and i see that in the kids like you try to be you, there's a way to be encouraging right, right? you're not going to tell them they suck but you know what if you try this or you know what, let's let's look at it from this angle or, or tell me what you're thinking about this problem and and we can work it out together and then and then they get to experience real success not lowering the bar you know when they see they see the kids in the other classes or next to them that are that are kicking ass and they know that they, that it, they're relatively, and they, it's okay. It's okay. that you, you're not the best at everything, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but be real about it.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm, uh, I, I think that, you know, teaching is, uh, is such a, I don't know, there are people that I think were really born to do it. Um, and I've been fortunate that I had, you know, I can probably count on my hand, like how many just incredible teachers I've had, uh, especially in, in high school. I had a, a brother, Jeffrey Pedersen, who was he, he? He he was he was such a light in my uh, in in my life. And you know, I uh, you've been out of teaching, you know, for for a few years, man. Like how you know how how are you holding up? I mean, is there do you have a you know an opportunity to still I don't know, connect with you know former students or or new students or you know what's going on? Yeah, you know, I
1: get I I got a lot of energy from teaching. I I really enjoyed. And every day I walk into class, I have no idea what was going to happen. I mean, I had was prepared; I had my lessons and everything. But um, there were so many. When you, when you when I, I before this, you know, I worked in technology, and and things are very predictable. And so I got bored. But when you're a teacher, you're dealing with human beings, and that's never predictable. And so and you're dealing with young human beings that have problems and difficulties and struggles, and and no no student's the same as any other student. So you you're just constantly dealing with different real world people and it's thrilling and it's great. Um, and I, you know, if I don't do that, I definitely feel something's missing. Like there's something kind of drained is draining, like a lack of energy. Um, when I, when I I've been giving talks about my experiences and what I think about things to groups of people. And I, I recapture that, just being in front of an audience and, and sharing, uh, sharing my thoughts and experiences, uh, and taking questions and responding like that's, that's, kind of gives me that feeling again, but, um, yeah, no, I do miss it. I miss it a lot. Yeah. I miss it in my body, like in my bones, like it really gets to you. Uh, it really sustains. Cause I remember, you know, I, you just don't get tired if you're in a room full of kids, you know, everything I did was on my feet, you know, for every class, uh, moving around, just yeah. seeing what they're doing, you know, hearing them, listening to their jokes, the ridiculous things that happen. It's just, it's so fun.
0: I, I have um uh, my my younger brother he's um uh, he's a teacher in high school and uh when he talks to me about it he he lights up you could tell he really loves doing what he's doing and um um that that's cool to see especially in someone you care about you know it's like wow they really love what they're doing
1: yeah 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 that that was me
0: well, um, Paul, thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to, uh, you know, to talk to me, uh, for, for those of you out there who want, who want to follow, uh, Paul's work. It's, uh, Paul D Rossi, R O S S I. And, uh, that's on, uh, on Twitter, throw a, an at, was that the ampersand? No, that's not an ampersand. At sign at Paul D Rossi. Yeah, at,
1: at sign, I guess. And I, I'm also, uh, writing pieces for legal insurrection, legalinsurrection.com, uh, so you can follow my, my articles there.
0: Thank you so much for listening. And again, please order my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, on the death and rebirth of comedy. Just follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. And please subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Why not? Sign up for my newsletter at And If you want other ways to support my work, you can join thelouperez.locals.com And of course, be sure to support my sponsors. Palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code Lou for 25% off purchases over $75 and black organic cold brew. BLVCKBREW.com. Use promo code Lou for free shipping. Thank you.